Good evening, church. Uh, tonight's reading is Malachi, um, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, which is the whole of the chapter. Uh, that's on page 778 in the church Bibles, or if you're like me and need the large print, it's on 1367. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honours his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honour due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible, and you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who is, has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations." Andy, and if you do have a Bible there, I'd like to keep it open at uh, Malachi chapter 1. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, at 6.30 when I got a message from uh, Pete saying he was unwell, he did send me his uh, Joel sermon notes and uh, did think about preaching them for you and trying to imitate Pete, but I really, I just don't like moving away from the lectern and, you know, it just wouldn't have looked authentic. So we'll leave uh, Pete to come back and uh, do his uh, uh, Joel message uh, a little later on. And uh, when I went digging, I discovered actually a sermon series on Micah that I forgot, I'd forgotten that I preached. And uh, here it, uh, is a sermon uh, from that sermon series, uh, an opportunity to look at this uh, great book. Now, uh, 
I don't know if you've uh, ever received yourself a, uh, a bunch of flowers uh, like the one on the screen there. Uh, I hope that you haven't actually, because if you have, it was probably a pretty disappointing experience. Uh, if someone was, you know, trying to tell you how much they loved you and they presented you with some flowers like that, uh, you're not going to feel very loved. Uh, if someone was trying to say thank you uh, for something that you'd done and they presented you with flowers like that, or you're going to wonder what you did wrong, aren't you? And uh, if someone was trying to say sorry, well, probably you're definitely not going to be feeling in a forgiving mood after receiving flowers like that. Uh, I'm not a great gift giver, and uh, my wife has had to put up with this uh, for a long time, uh, but even I have never tried to give uh, some flowers that looked like that. Uh, they, they don't look good at all. But what Israel has been doing uh, at the time of Malachi uh, is a little bit like uh, bringing a, uh, a bunch of flowers like that uh, to God. They've been bringing offerings to God uh, to offer to Him, uh, but these offerings, instead of affirming their relationship, instead of uh, showing love and respect and gratitude to God, uh, the offerings that the people of Judah have been bringing have been uh, undermining their relationship. Now we're going to have a look uh, a bit more detail at what God says about these offerings in a moment, but just helpful for us to get our heads around uh, Malachi where it fits in the Bible. Uh, it's the very last book in the Old Testament. Uh, you can hopefully see it there on the, the timeline on the screen. It was written uh, probably around the year 430 BC and it contains messages for the people of Judah, uh, that southern kingdom where, uh, who uh, were centered around Jerusalem. Uh, and 430 BC, you can also see on the timeline there, you can see that red section of the timeline, which is when uh, the people of Judah were taken uh, to exile in Babylon uh, for about 70 years, and then they came back from exile and were, were about 100 years after they'd come back from punishment, uh, from the, the exile in Babylon, from uh, the punishment uh, for their sins that was to be taken away uh, by this, uh, this foreign nation. Well, as the years had dragged on, uh, that, that century of time between coming back from exile and, uh, and, and living in the land, the people of Judah were beginning to wonder if God had actually forgotten them. The glorious promises that had been there in some of the earlier prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, they didn't seem to be coming true at all. Uh, Jerusalem hadn't become, uh, you know, the great powerful uh, sanctuary of a city on earth that some of the prophets seemed to promise. Uh, instead, it was just a small, uh, insignificant, ordinary place, just like Townsville or somewhere. Uh, the, the, the temple uh, hadn't become the most glorious place on earth to worship God, uh, a kind of beacon, uh, one of the seven wonders of the world. That, that was not what we're talking about. I don't know if you, any of you were here uh, a few years ago when we used to have the old Civic Theatre across the road from here. It was kind of run down, had that sort of 70s brown look about it and a lot of asbestos and uh, it was pretty horrible. Uh, well, that's what the temple was like. It just wasn't uh, a very uh, exciting place. Certainly, I uh, wasn't like, you know, the fancy new building that you see over there today. And because of this, people are wondering, you know, does God really love us? Uh, have a look uh, at Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, it kind of picks up the, the, the big issue of the book of Malachi. I have loved you, 
says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? You see what's happening there? The people are, God's saying, I love you, but the people are saying, how have you loved us? The people are accusing God of not loving them, saying that there's no evidence. But in the rest of the book of Malachi, God, he responds to this accusation that he doesn't love them. And what he says to the people basically is, it's actually not my love for you that is in question. It's not my commitment to you. It's actually your commitment to me that is in question. It's your love for me that has been half-hearted and questionable. And uh, God talks to them about different ways that they've been half-hearted and questionable in their love for Him and their commitment to Him. Uh, today we're going to look at this uh, second half of Malachi chapter 1 where God particularly highlights this issue of the sacrifices. Uh, have a look at how God is feeling about the Israelites, uh, Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6. A son honours his father and a servant his master. If I'm a father, where is the honour due to me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. God is the loving father who had made Israel into a nation, who'd given birth to them by bringing them out of slavery in Egypt and setting them up in their beautiful land. And God says, where's the honour? Uh, God is uh, the Lord, the, the King of Israel, the one who'd given them His good law for them to follow and to govern uh, their nation. Where's the respect for me, God says, uh, the obedience for my law? Instead of respect and honour, the Israelites, and in particular their priests, have been showing contempt. They've been ignoring God and failing to acknowledge uh, his, uh, how important He is. But the Israelites, when they hear this, and the book of Malachi has this little conversation going here between God and the people, the Israelites hear this, they're shocked. Surely not. We're not like that. We don't lack respect for God. Uh, you can see their disbelief. Uh, how have we shown contempt for your name? The answer that God has for them is the withered bunch of flowers. The offerings that they've been bringing to God at the temple are just like a withered old bunch of flowers, something that they picked out of the gutter and brought along as an afterthought. And God is not impressed. He lays it out for them in verse 7. You place defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. Don't think, God says, that you can bring me rubbish to the temple and then say, well, you know, what, what do we do wrong? Uh, he goes on in verse 8 to, to outline further. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Everything they're bringing, whether it's uh, food offerings or animal offerings, they're all cheap and nasty. Uh, off the cut price uh, bargain basement bin. That's what they've been bringing. 
God says to them, if you had to bring some stuff, if you had to bring tax to a human governor, uh, you'd never do that in a million years. It would be insulting. Back in those days, if you didn't pay your tax, uh, you got in a big trouble. Uh, governors uh, would, uh, would you, your life would be in danger. But here, something that they would never do to their human governor, they are doing to God. And it's not just kind of in a human sense that it's obvious that bringing shoddy gifts, giving someone shoddy gifts uh, or uh, paying uh, someone in a shoddy way is uh, insulting and not a good thing. But this is actually something specifically that God had said to them in the covenant. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 22 where God tells the uh, people how to, they're to bring uh, sacrifices to him in the old covenant. He says, when anyone brings from the herd or flock a fellowship offering to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or as a freewill offering, it must be without defect or blemish to be acceptable. Do not offer to the Lord the blind, the injured or the maimed. Do not, or anything with warts or festering or running sores, do not place any of these on the altar as an offering made to the Lord by fire. See, it's spelt out there in black and white, isn't it? You're going to bring an offering to the Lord, bring the best. Bring something without defect. Honour His holiness, honour His mercy, honour His uh, fatherly care for you by giving pure and costly sacrifices. But that's not what Israel has been doing, or the people, people of Judah. They've not been showing honour at all. The kind of thing that they've been bringing in their offering suggests that they just think the whole business is a waste of time. Uh, that it's just a matter of keeping up appearances, but it's not anything they should do in, with a wholehearted way. Uh, God says down towards the end of the passage in verse 12, You profane my name by saying of the Lord's table it is defiled and of its food it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. You sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. If you don't uh, trust the government and you don't really think they're going to do a good job, then paying taxes is a real burden, isn't it? And most people will try and get away with paying the least amount of tax that you can because they don't really, uh, it's not something that you want to do at all. That's exactly how the Israelites have been thinking about God and his offerings. Like, well, this is kind of something we've got to do. Uh, we don't really care. We don't want to give this at all. And so we're going to give the least that we can, the cheapest that we can, the absolute minimum. But such a contemptuous way to treat God all the love and the generosity that he has shown to them the fact that they have sinned and they need to repent they've got so much to say sorry for so much to be grateful for and yet uh, they just think of their these sacrifices as a burden it's uh, deeply disrespectful to god and not just disrespectful, but there's a hypocrisy here as well. The Israelites aren't really thinking about God that much at all when they make the offerings. All they're thinking about is, you know, what's 
the person next to me going to think about the kind of offerings that I'm making? And so it seems that some of them are making a show of offering the best from their flock. So everyone thinks, oh, that's a very holy person. But then when they get around the back and no one can watch, they're substituting out the good uh, parts, the good offerings, and putting something cheap and nasty in there. Uh, and uh, verse 14, God contemns, uh, condemns this attitude. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, says, oh yes, I'm going to give this Lord, but then he sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. These contemptuous, second-rate, half-hearted sacrifices... Uh, they're actually having a serious impact on the, uh, the people's relationship with God. Uh, God really hates it. Uh, and in fact, rather than bringing the people back to God like it was supposed to, uh, it's actually making him uh, more angry. Uh, you can see that uh, in, uh, in verse 9, God says, you know, instead of kind of being a fire extinguisher for sin, uh, the offerings are actually turning into like uh, pouring petrol on, on the fire of, of their sin. It's magnifying uh, what, they're, what they're doing wrong. Verse 9, Now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will He accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offerings for your hands. God does not want to accept these offerings. And so they're ineffective. Uh, they're not playing that important role in uh, being a sign of repentance and restoring the relationship between the people and God when they've sinned. And because of this, because of this, uh, uh, this half-hearted and contemptuous attitude towards the offerings, God actually says that these people, the people of Judah, are going to lose their unique place as uh, God's people. Uh, God is going to bring an end to this special privilege that they have of having the temple and the sacrifices in their midst. That's what God says in verse 11. He says, My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of, of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. See, that time when Malachi was writing, there was only one place on earth where you could go and offer sacrifices to God. You had to go to the temple in Jerusalem. It didn't matter which part of the country you lived in. It didn't matter which part of the world you lived in. Jerusalem and the temple was it. But because of this contempt that they've shown, God says that is going to change. This exclusive privilege that they have is going to be brought to an end. People in every place will now offer pure sacrifices. People in every nation from the rising to the setting of the sun will be able to offer sacrifices that offer God's name, that, that honour God's name. That, that temple in Jerusalem is no longer going to be uh, that uh, one unique place. God is going international with His plans. 
It's actually an incredible statement for God to make in these verses. It's quite uh, almost unique in the Old Testament, in fact. Uh, some, uh, plenty of places in the Old Testament, the prophets foresee a time uh, when the nations are going to be welcomed into uh, God's kingdom. But most of the time, the, the image that is used is of the people uh, you know, coming to Jerusalem to worship God there. But here God goes even further. Not just uh, people going to kind of be brought in, but God is actually going to go out so that people can offer sacrifices wherever they are, anytime, anywhere, any place. It's a huge plan, but of course there's a big unanswered question here. If Israel or the Judah, the Israelites, if they couldn't offer a decent sacrifice, how is anyone from any other nation going to be able to offer a proper sacrifice? I mean, these people had everything, didn't they? They had the covenant, they had the priests, they had the temple. If they're messing up the sacrifices, uh, how is someone pagan, worshipping some rock idol in some other corner of the world, how are they ever going to be able to offer an acceptable sacrifice? It's not like the rest of the world is sitting around waiting to do the right thing while Israel messes it up, is it? Of course not. All human beings have turned their backs on God just as much as these people have. See, if people are going to be able to offer pure sacrifices all over the world, God God is going to have to do something new. He's going to have to do something radical. According to the New Testament, the radical thing that God does is that He takes care of of the sacrifices himself. He sends Jesus to be the perfect, pure sacrifice once and for all. He, he takes this sacrificial business that uh, getting messed up here at the time of Malachi, he, he actually just takes it out of human, humans' hands and says, I will take care of it myself. Jesus makes a sacrifice that honours God. Unlike those uh, crippled animals and defiled food that uh, the people offering Malachi's time, Jesus is the perfect and pure Lamb of God. He is the sacrifice that God will receive once and for all and He is the sacrifice that is effective for all nations, people everywhere, not just for Judah. I think you see this really clearly in uh, the book of Revelation, right at the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 5. John has a vision and he sees a vision of a, a sacrificial lamb, a lamb looking as if it had been slain. And then he sees the whole court of heaven falling down before the lamb. And in verse 9 of chapter 5, they sing uh, a new song. They say, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased people from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. See, there, Jesus is that perfect, pure sacrifice that is offered for every nation, every tribe, every language on earth. Here's the sacrifice that the people of Judah couldn't offer. Here's the sacrifice that no one else on earth could offer. And so this kind of slightly bad news for uh, the people of Judah, bad news for Jerusalem, actually turns into uh, something gracious for the rest of the world. 
It points us to the fact that we don't have to run around anymore and offer cows and sheep. We don't have a barbecue uh, set up out the back. You don't have to drop in at Woolworths and uh, you know, go to the, the premium steak section and, and, and bring something down for sacrifices. God has, made, has taken matters into his own hands. Jesus has take, made that sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And so we can know him. Uh, we can uh, be his people wherever, we're, wherever we are, wherever we're from. Well, there's no way now and we, don't, we have to bring a sacrifice to offer for our sins and uh, we can't bring a sacrifice to offer for our sins. The New Testament actually does still say that as Christians, there is a sacrifice for us to bring. An offering that we bring in response to what Jesus has offered for us. We don't bring cows or goats or lambs. Instead, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, it says, Through Jesus... Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. In response to Jesus, we bring a sacrifice of praise. We have lips that honour Jesus by talking about him regularly and gratefully. Of course, that includes uh, singing his praise here on a Sunday, which is something that uh, we, we love to do at church, but also means having Jesus on, lips, on our lips all, all the time, uh, every day, from Monday to Friday, uh, having Jesus' name at the tip of our tongue. And then it's not just the sacrifice of what we say, is it? It's the sacrifices of what we do, doing good and sharing with others. The sacrifice of being honest at work. The sacrifice of being patient with your children. Of being faithful in your marriage. Of being humble when you have a conflict with someone. The the sacrifice of giving your time or your energy uh, or your money to serve others. Whether it's your brothers and sisters who are part of this church or other people around the world. When we think about the sacrifice of doing good and sharing, the possibilities are endless, aren't they? It's a call to live our whole life as a sacrifice to God. But as we think about offering these sacrifices, two, two really important things to keep in mind. First of all, uh, Hebrews says it's through Jesus that these sacrifices are offered. They're offered because His perfect sacrifice has already been offered. We actually can't bring a perfect sacrifice ourselves. Our sacrifice is always a bit messy, uh, often done a little bit half-hearted. But when we come through Jesus, the good thing, it's like He gift wraps them. And brings them to God for us because he has already offered the perfect sacrifice. And so even when we're weak and we're we're half-hearted, we can bring our sacrifices with confidence uh, through Jesus. And that's a wonderful privilege. But the second thing is, I think, there to just remember the challenge of Malachi. God doesn't want half-hearted, cheap, nasty sacrifices. He doesn't just want us to speak about Jesus when it's convenient. Uh, In that sense, it's easy to sing songs here on a Sunday, isn't it? But is Jesus on our lips when we get to work uh, or with our, with our friends uh, at uni or wherever we are? It can be perhaps easy to talk about good works uh, and generosity and sometimes when people find out about it, uh, we get a warm, glowing feeling. But are we doing good works? Are we being generous when nobody knows about it? 
uh, when it, you know it has to interrupt our Netflix schedule or our career advancement program or our retirement invested investment strategy? Are we are we sharing what we have sacrificially at that time? The kind of sacrifices that God calls for that appropriately honour Him are costly, uh, and uh, that's what God calls us to. So I wonder what sacrifices you might bring to God this week. When will we have that opportunity to have the name of Jesus on your lips and do that as an offering for Jesus? When we have the opportunity to stand up for what is right? When will you have the opportunity to share the things that God has given you? In every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations says the lord almighty jesus brought these words fulfillment through his death on the cross so let's trust him and in response to him let's be an ongoing fulfillment of this prophecy that sacrifices of praise and sacrifices of good works are being offered by us in this part of the world in a way that shows that the Lord is mighty. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we do thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, uh, the sacrifice that is pure and perfect and one that we could never, ever offer on our own. We thank you uh, for the mercy and grace that comes to us because of this, uh, the fact that we can be here as your people because of that sacrifice. We pray, Father, that as we remember uh, your sacrifice for us, uh, that we would respond uh, that we too might be part of the uh, promise that Malachi made long ago, that uh, offerings and sacrifices would be offered uh, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun. Father, would our generosity, uh, would our words, would our actions uh, be sacrifices uh, to you, uh, our great God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.